Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 86, The Crew is in Attendance. Chaz, as always, accompanied by Richard. Richard, how are you? Hey, Chaz, what's going on? It's it's, it's going. Seth, what's up? <laughs> oh, Kaladash. Yeah. All Kaladash all the time. <laughs> Richard, Seth, we are locked in. This is going to be a great one. <laughs> uh, I... I so just so everyone knows, in the pre-show, I was literally just sitting here in silence trying to marinate on everything that we have witnessed this morning, and uh, we're now finally ready to talk about everything. So let's just get into it. Uh, Kal- we're getting expeditions again, but uh, in Kaladesh. So Kaladesh will be releasing masterpieces, and these are akin to the uh, the, the Battle for Zendikar expeditions, where these are premium foils of you know certain cards that are relate- related to the set so specific cards like hangar back walker that were originally from kaladesh when we first saw it in magic origins and a bunch of other random artifacts from magic's history so a little bit of everything and there's going to be 25 so 50 total masterpieces in this block and these will be a thing going forward uh so a huge announcement uh, so we're going to talk about masterpieces in general, then a few spoilers from last week that we didn't get to talk about uh, that, that are brand new, and we honed on a, spe- a few specific ones on, uh, on that front. And then we, well, I, but uh, I won't be, but Seth and Richard will be complaining about Conspiracy too, and then we'll wrap it up with some fish mail. So a lot to talk about. So let's just get right to it. Masterpieces. Uh, first initial take, Richard. Okay, so the, the four masterpieces announced so far are Verdus, Gear Hulk, Mana Crypt, Hangerback Walker, and Gauntlet of Power. So, you know, I woke up this morning, 7.30 is when spoilers start for me, opened my computer, and I saw possibly the most beautiful magic card I've ever seen in Mana Crypt. The, the new border is crazy, and the, the Kaladeshian art style or something that just really matches with the card so it looks awesome and i saw that there were four cards and i'm like oh that's good they, they made expeditions and they've toned them down you know we, we're not gonna get an overload of expeditions and then i read the article and they said 50 this block and i'm like are there even 50 artifacts worth printing so i'm kind of mixed i i love the art right these promos actually feel very premium as opposed as opposed to the original expeditions but 50 is, I don't know, that's a lot of cards. I would have much preferred it if they just kept a handful, like, you know, 5%. I think it would make them really special. But at this rate, they're just super foils or something, right? They're going to be so common. Uh, you'll see them very often, and they're not going to be super duper rare. So I, I don't know how I feel about that, but it'll keep prices down. So that'll be good for standard players, and people have new cards to bling their decks out with. So that's that's pretty good as well. But the art is just so good. This frame is so, so good. So much better than the vehicle frame. Yeah, it is really nice. I like how on some of them, well, on the Mana Crypt in particular, kind of like brings us right into the art. But yeah, it is really cool. Seth. Ah, <laughs> uh, Seth. What do you think? Uh, so I'm, I'm still kind of soaking it all in and trying to figure it out. I know when... When we originally talked about it, we liked it more as a special thing than an every set thing. And I have a lot of 
a lot of mixed feelings, I guess. On one hand, it's awesome for standard players. Basically, what this does is it makes the game slightly more expensive, I guess, for people that want to pimp their deck. Legacy players, cubers, those are the people that are going to be buying these cards. Command Some commander players. So it's uh, taking money from those players who, if you're doing that, you can probably uh, afford to spend a lot of money on a amazing-looking Mana Crypt. Uh, and it's giving that money to standard players by decreasing the prices of all the other cards in the set. So I think that in that sense, it's awesome. We should be entering a new normal of standard being really cheap and really accessible for players, which is a great thing. That's how standard should be. So I'm excited about that. I, like Richard, don't like how many of them there are. I just don't think there's enough good cards. And maybe they can get by with having 50 expeditions a block uh, for Kaladash block, maybe even for the block after that. But sooner or later, you're going to be having some really bad cards. I don't really want to get, oh, like uh, the Signet cycle from Ravnica. Here you go. You can have a $50 Signet. Like, that's just not exciting to me. So I think the excitement of it's going to wear off because sooner or later, we're going to get a lot of Hangerback Walkers and not as many Mana Crypts just because there aren't that many Mana Crypts in the game of Magic. Yeah, I'm kind of, and again, we reminisce about when we first talked about the expeditions, and you know, I forget what specific episode it was, but I remember these conversations very vividly, and we all kind of felt the same on expeditions. It was really good as kind of this thing that doesn't happen very often, or even once at that point, we didn't know, and we were lukewarm to the fact of this happening you know, frequently, and now it's going to be every set. So initially, like, I, I do have mixed feelings, but I'm leaning toward a positive feeling about this, and, and mainly for the two, you know, the reasons both of you stated. This is great for standard players. I mean, if we look back at BFZ, there's just a couple mythics hovering above 10 bucks, and that's pretty much it. I mean, a lot of BFZ block is really affordable, and it's kept prices of standard overall down so it seems like shadows over innistrad block will be the only one without expeditions going forward it, it keeps prices down i mean it's just the, the data is there to back it up the the thing i don't like and this is kind of where it's it's coming back to what you said i mean 50 expeditions per block seems like a lot and you're right what are they going to fill the void with like hangerback walker yeah it'd probably be a stinker in the grand scheme of what the the masterpieces are when we have Mana Crypt, and I mean, I don't know what uh, the rest are going to be. We get the rest at 5 o'clock Eastern, so after we record this. But let's just assume it's like Chalice of the Void, Aether Vial, you know, some, some marquee artifacts. I'm okay with stinkers, but 50 for, per block for every set just seems like a lot. Maybe not next block, maybe not the block after that, but sooner or later it's just going to be like, okay, what's, you know, what's, it's going to be this this set and then it just kind of almost like pops the balloon of hype on the rest of the set i mean i'm still really excited for kaladesh but it's like how far does that go before we're just like all right just get to the expeditions already you know and this is not a knock against that i'm i'm, I'm positive but you know i'm just kind of looking at all with a critical lens my concern is they're gonna run out of themes like right you know, they did lands okay there are a lot of lands artifacts okay you know next block enchantments and then it's going to start dwindling down, and they're basically 
expanding from the vault to 50 cards and jamming it in as expeditions, it, the pickings will get slim later on. You're going to have expedition angels on the angel plane or something? Like, how, like what are these themes that they're going to pull from? It's going to get pretty, pretty sparse in the future. So it'll be interesting to see, and it may have been better just to do this as from the vault, I think. Like, to me, this looks like from the vault. You could have put all these cards together and said from the vault artifacts and released a spoiler for it, and everyone would have totally accepted it. So it looks like they're taking from the vault and just jamming it in. You know, that's their new reprint mechanism, because from the vault really didn't solve anything. They claim this will solve... Uh, access to older cards you know i don't buy that i don't see mana crypt becoming suddenly super accessible because of this you know if they print say you know any of the old swords uh gta even batter skull things like that i I don't see the price tanking the price will probably just remain the same and go up for these cards so i i don't know what that solves but the art is sweet that's all i have to say (laughs) everything's winning me over based (laughs) on the art like I... the hanger back locker, uh, it's, it's like still good. I gotta play vintage now or something, just so I can play hanger back locker. <laughs> I actually love the Gear Hulk. I, I think that looks sick. <laughs> but I mean, that's me personally, and it's a green card, so yeah. And uh, I think overall, it is a positive. Like, yeah, I'm not. I'm not worried about that. Uh, the downside is I just worry about the long term, I guess. I think for yeah. right now, this is great, but how this is going to play out two years, three years, five years from now, that's what I'm concerned about with the announcement that this is the new normal. Do you think it's a money grab? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, uh, isn't everything we've seen from Wizards, from the set announcements to the more sets to the timing of the sets every month to these new expeditions, like, doesn't it all feel like a money grab? Like, I don't know. So Chaz said this earlier. So it felt really bad in BFZ because the set kind of sucked. right? And it was like, <laughs> oh, here's this Band-Aid slap yeah. on Expeditions. Whereas we haven't talked about them. We still have Chandra. We still have Nyssa. We have all these cool artifact cards. The set is really good without these Masterpiece cards. So in this case, it feels like it's a bonus sticker or something as opposed to a bandage you know, <laughs> yeah. on, a, on an ailing set. I really like that analogy, yeah. I think, though, maybe money grab isn't the right word, but the way I see it is we went through this huge period of growth. If you look back over the last, whatever, six years, almost every single fall set, and maybe every single fall set, I want to say almost because I'm not 100% sure, has been the new best-selling set ever. But I think that massive player base growth that we've been going through has slowed to some extent. So now Wizards has set this expectation with Hasbro, with the higher ups at Wizards, that when they make a new fall set and when they start a new block, it's going to be the new best thing ever. So they have this pressure to live up to the past six years. And since they don't have the player base gross. When you're growing 25% per year in player base, it's really easy. You don't got to do much. You just print magic cards and you naturally have new players. But if you're growing 8% per year, you got to make up that gap somehow or it's going to look like you're losing money and not doing as well. And I think seeing more sets, more supplemental products and expeditions all the time is a way to try to get more money out of the players that are already in the game because the growth rate has ticked back a little bit. It's still growing, I believe, but it's not growing at the ridiculous rate it was between like Zendikar and a couple years ago. Yeah, and that was a that's actually a fish meal that we're going to be talking about early on or later on, but just to touch on it here, I, I know where you're going with this. It's kind of like fatigue 
almost, you know, like you just said, it's you're kind of taxing the people that are already playing by, you know, speeding up the releases, adding more supplemental product, adding this kind of these expeditions to every set to kind of sell the sets even more than they would have sold. You know, at the same time, isn't that still like great for players? Because, yeah, it's a lot of stuff at once, but you can kind of pick and choose what you want. I mean, I know a lot of people went back at announcement day were like kind of, oh, this is all fatigue and all that. But I mean, at the end of the day, isn't it just supplemental products? I mean, you don't really have to buy them. And you were going to buy Kaladesh anyway. So like, it goes back to Richard said, you get like a bonus sticker just for buying Kaladesh. Yeah, yeah. And I agree with that. And I think that the new expeditions or masterpieces, whatever we're going to call them, are are fine because they are just a bonus. And you can completely ignore them if you pre-ordered a box uh, a couple weeks ago, you're still going to get all the cool Kaladesh cards. So they're just a bonus in that sense. I just, in the big picture of things, yeah. some of these the decisions seem to be based on the player base growth slowing based on where it was two, three, five years ago. And Wizards trying to make do and still keep their profits growing in this new system where the player base isn't growing as rapidly. What do you think, Richard? Uh, I, I don't see this as a fatigue issue. I mean, the the promos will get less unique. So in that sense, you're right. Like, think of the pre-release promos. Uh, they used to be something okay. special. Like, you know, Emrakul pre-release special. Now every <laughs> yeah. card is a pre-release special. So unless you have alternate art, like, no one even remembers. <laughs> so I think... Expeditions will eventually become like that. The the one thing that expeditions have going for them is different art, so players will remember that. But I think they'll stop being super duper special. Uh, you know, before it used to be the case whenever you opened an expedition, it wasn't really open unless you posted it on social media. That probably used to be the case when Mythics first came out. That probably was the case when Foils first came out. Eventually, it'll just be another card. You'll be happy you got it. You got some extra money, but the the hype won't be there anymore because, you know, in two years, we probably would have seen, you know, two or three hundred expeditions by then. So I think uh, they're, they're still good. You know, it's like getting a mythic or a foil mythic. It's still awesome, but it's not going to be super duper unique because you got one last month. And you got one the month before and the month before. So I think all three of us are in agreement that this is a net positive. And if we go back to how we felt about BFZ Expeditions, I mean, are we kind of pivoting from there? Or, you know, we still have a little bit of a critical, you know, complaint on this. Well, not really a complaint, just a uh, an observation that they, it probably shouldn't have been 50 uh, per block if it's going to be every block. I, I would have liked to see that cut back a little bit because, but, yeah, go ahead. There is one upside to having so many, and having so many means they have to print some bad ones, and that means we get to look forward to you complaining endlessly (laughs) when you open, like, whatever the worst expedition is from Kaladesh, (laughs) because you know you will. It's going to happen. You know what's crazy is I really did, like, I'm 0 for 1 already. Like, (laughs) I, I opened Canopy Vista, which... Yeah, Canopy Vista, right? Was the green-white, which wasn't, like, I guess the worst one, but it was pretty bad. But 
it, what's funny is, is like they're not. I'm not even complaining because they're none of them are really bad, which I guess is the upside here, and why no one really, I guess, has a legitimate complaint on this. But in the stinkers of the expeditions, you can be sure that I will open it. Yes. So, so <laughs> what one one question for you guys on this before we move on? Sure. What do you think the floor is financially on these? We saw with the BFC ones, kind of the lowest end were the standard legal dual lands, which are like thirty to forty dollars, and those are still standard staples. What do you think? Uh, say. I don't know, bone splitter, some 10 cent common <laughs> that's like played in cubes and so forth. Like what is the floor just for being an expedition, no matter how horrible you are? I, you know, it's hard to say because I'll j- I'm just going to use hanger back, you know, as an example. Well, no, I guess the gear Hulk will be a better example. Yeah. So I could, I could see that being like the floor of like, you know, 15, 20 bucks, you know, 20, 25 bucks. Somewhere in that range. It depends. Like, you know, I guess the BFZ lands have applications outside of standard, so you can argue that case. It really all depends on the card. Like, Verda's Gear Hulk, like, let's just say in, you know, Commander or whatever, like, are they even better than any of the Titans? Like, I know Primeval Titan is banned, but they, they may not be, you know, as good as, say, like a land. So, so the the floor is probably somewhat lower than what we saw with the lands in BFC, most likely. It'll be a lot, a lot lower, right? Uh, the lands are almost all playable in older formats. Like once Raiders right. Gearhulk rotates out, is anyone gonna care? Like even commander players won't play this. So right. we're talking like bulk foil mythic price, which is basically a couple bucks, right? So you think we really? could see two dollar masterpieces for the for the bad ones? Like, every mana crypt will be, like, crazy expensive, right? But who's going to buy Verger's Gear Hulk in, like, three years? What are you going to do with this? <laughs> <laughs> okay, in three years, I can, I can... I mean, I don't know. I don't... I think 10 bucks is, like, the absolute floor. Like, I still think there could be some interest in, like... I mean, it looks great. Maybe if they don't look good, I don't know. There's a lot of factors. <laughs> okay. But well, I think, like, be- 10 bucks has to be, like, the absolute minimum. So it'll be interesting to see. I really don't know. That's why I wanted uh, all of your opinions on it. So it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out financially, I think. I'm excited yeah. to see how that uh, works out. Because I know you're not excited about Hangerback Walker, but like Richard said, it is beautiful. And like, your box is vintage playable. No, <laughs> I know. Be that's what I was getting, right, exactly. I was getting to that. Like, that might not actually be like a bad one. Like, it, it could be. You know, fifty bucks, like thirty to fifty bucks, somewhere in that range, just because of vintage. That, that's true, and I mean, if you look at even the BFC lands, they do show up in cubes. Like you're likely going to play those in your cube. Right. They do show up in commander, eh, sometimes in modern and fringe. I don't really count that. But something like some of the worst gear hulks, they probably won't see playing Commander. They probably won't see playing cubes. So there's literal like zero demand unless you just want one because you think it looks cool but there's there's very little demand for those cards especially once they're out of standard so i'm going to be really curious i think it could end up being closer to what richard said i could see some of them getting under five dollars that's just my gut feeling but of the really bad ones that don't have cube or commander or eternal applications it sounds crazy but i think it could be possible 
All right, we will revisit this on episode 300 in three and a half years. (laughs) Um, Oh, yeah, I I know we want to move on, but last kind of final thing, and it is big. Like, does this change the landscape? I mean, this kind of changes the landscape a lot, right, Seth? I mean, is this kind of like their solution to basically like NTG finance as we kind of have grown accustomed to? Like, and most people view mtg finance as like is this like here here mtg finance community deal with these like these are the the stuff you guys want to be buying the everything else like is pretty much going to be junk like in 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 terms of like speculating or or purchasing and trying to flip or what have you i've had the thought that mtg finance is sort of dead rattling around in my head since we saw conspiracy saw the all the reprints for supplemental products way more. It went from like zero in 2009 to a supplemental product almost every month this coming year. So there's tons more reprints. And I haven't actually said that out loud to anyone because I've still been (laughs) just rattling it around in my head, but it sort of seems that way. And dead isn't the right term, but the old school way of like, Oh, like, this card is going to be good five years from now because it's going to see play in modern, buy it at rotation, or, uh, oh, the standard card is going to see a lot of play. A lot of those things I think are changing, and that type of speculation-based finance might very well just carry too much risk to even be a thing moving forward. So you heard it here first. I mean, I agree with you. I think a lot of the finance like customs and and just the way a lot of people view this is pretty much like gone i mean at this point it's like there's really no incentive for that kind of that kind of like like you said like oh you know buy this at rotation buy 500 of these speculative kind of things like that's all gone like it feels like this is their solution like here's super high premium mythics like do what you want with this and like good luck on the rest because it's all going to be like essentially worthless. And I mean, in a lot of ways, I think it's a good thing. <laughs> so yeah, I, mean, I think so too. I mean, I, I said this in a tweet, and I, 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 I feel like you feel the same way, Seth. Like me and you cover finance, and, and Richard too. Honestly, I mean, you you run MTG Goldfish, which is a lot of finance related stuff. But it kind of feels like a relief almost. I don't know if you feel that way because I mean, I'm a player too. And I'd be lying to say that a lot of this stuff doesn't bother me because it does. I mean, I don't want people to be priced out of the game. I don't want like crazy price spikes and people paying absurd prices on like on random cards just to play the game. You know, I don't know. It kind of felt like almost like a relief after a while. <laughs> yeah, I, I can. It'll definitely be nice if that type of finance becomes less prevalent to uh, not have to deal with it. <laughs> We've talked about that many yeah. times in the past, how yeah. so many people have such a bad uh, image of just the term MTG finance, no matter what that actually means to me or you individually or how we conduct ourselves individually. I will say that I don't think dead was probably the wrong term because I think there is still MTG finance is still going to be a thing. We're still going to yeah. have cards that uh, didn't see play because Bant Company was super dominant and standard. And then we have rotation and all of a sudden this like $2 rare becomes a $10 format staple. But I think you're looking at like these short term like rotations and standard and things like that. Because I think there's just too many reprints uh, for you to deal with stuff like 
uh, cards rotating into modern. So you're either, I think, dealing with high-end reserve list, like legacy staples, some of these new expedition type stuff, or got to be playing the like rotation game in standard and picking up cards that are really powerful, but just underplayed because of how the standard format looks and knowing that things are going to get shaken up at rotation. So I think that's going to be the new, the new normal, but I don't think the old model of like, Hey, I buy thought sees when it rotates and wait five years. I think that's out the window now. Well said. <sighs> Speaking of relief, let's talk about some new cards. I'm, I'm dying to hear what you guys have to say about some of this. After our Sahili debacle last week and us, you know, having mixed reviews, I'm so, so excited to hear what you guys have to say about these Planeswalkers. Let's talk about the the Planeswalkers first. The the original hype news from Kaladesh before they were overshadowed <laughs> by Masterpieces. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We have a Planeswalker with four abilities. People dubbing it the next Mind Sculptor, uh, maybe ambitious. But we have Chandra, Torch of Defiance, two red red. So it starts with four loyalty, four converted mana cost. Plus one, exile the top card of your library. You may cast that card. If you don't, Chandra deals two damage to each opponent. Plus one, add red red to your mana pool. Minus three, Chandra deals four damage to target creature. Minus seven, you get an emblem with whenever you cast a spell, the emblem deals five damage to target creature or player. Oh my god, Jason Mind Sculpture's back! <laughs> it's back! It's red, it's format of modern lookout. <laughs> it it does look like Jace, to be fair, with the formatting and the four abilities and the mana cost, so I understand that comparison. I think I've even made that comparison. But there's a huge difference between being a blue card and being a red card when it comes to eternal playability. Which is part of why Jace is so awesome and expensive. Yeah, has anyone actually played Jace the Mind Sculptor? <laughs> like, <laughs> Jace is totally on another level compared to this card. So, you know, the, the, four, the four abilities is where it stops. Uh, I think Chandra <laughs> will be pretty good, but I think yeah. people have way, way overhyped her. To me, the, the biggest question mark is how playable is Red in Standard. Uh, I actually think Chandra is not the best Planeswalker in this set. Oh, um, but to, to me, a lot of it hinges on the fact that she's double red. Uh, red kind of sucks. <laughs> and her ramping ability is not too relevant. So you're really hinging on that plus one and that minus three. And, you know, if you ultimate, yeah, you're going to win. But being double red seems problematic. It, it's kind of fixed with Oath of Nyssa in standard. But red is not a strong color currently, so I don't know that... She'll see lots of plays. She'll see some plays. She'll see play in certain archetypes, but she won't be that card that you jam in every single deck, regardless of your strategy. Uh, something you would do with, say, Jace the Mind Sculptor. <laughs> so I think she'll be good, but I think people have overhyped her. I, I don't know that she'll be even the best Planeswalker in this set. Chandra's okay, and I, I, I think it is pretty good. But I don't think, like, obviously, I think I have the same issue that Richard does is how good is red and standard? Now, I've seen some good red cards. I think we're close. Like, there's there's definitely stuff there. Like, we have a pretty good, we have some good removal now. We have some, like, good low-end red drops, like the Hellion and stuff like that. Um, we have, like, Harness Lightning, another pretty good removal. PNLR, Fastland. So, I mean, it's getting there. 
But I think I'm leaning towards what Richard's saying is I don't think this is like a four of in every single strategy that you're doing. I think Chandra is very good. I don't think she's Jace. I don't think she's legacy right. playable. Probably like sees an amount of modern play equivalent to Chandra Pyromancer, which it kind of okay. compares to in a lot of ways. So maybe like occasionally a one of in Jonder, some other deck, fringe red decks that are playing Blood Moon and so forth. But I think in standard, if you build a red deck, Chandra is probably the first card you put in it. I think if you're playing a red deck in standard that can cast her, she is just a super strong standalone card. She's good in mid-range as a card advantage engine that the ultimate wins the game. She's a good top-end card in an aggressive deck, the ability to immediately plus one for mana, and then incendiary flow or something a threat means you can tick up to five and protect her, which is super powerful. And just killing a creature for four mana isn't the absolute worst ability like so she's gonna do something in most situations so i think she's very strong in standard and might be the best planeswalker in standard but i don't think she's jason mind sculptor or especially eternal playable yeah i I like your points on standard i I think it definitely has legs in standard you're right it has two abilities that can pseudo well one is uh, protection one can be pseudo protection like you just said you can plus one in incendiary flow and that's pretty much protection um and you're and the other plus one is can can deal with not only uh planeswalkers and opponents it kind of gives you extra card advantage in red which is still really good i mean red is has a lot of these abilities now but it's still always pretty good um in modern i don't know because now in modern your your four drops are really good. I mean, is this just better? Like, is it better just dropping Kalidas than this? I, I think so. Like, I think Kalidas probably is just going to keep taking up the four slot. I, I think, though, I think it's just a straight-up swap with Chandra Pyromancer, which is obviously a fringe card, but I think that if you're playing Chandra Pyromancer in a deck, you probably would just rather play Chandra because it does a lot of the same stuff, but actually right. more stuff on top of it. I think Chandra's good in modern, but not good enough that you would start warping your decks to player. So like okay. Seth said, if you played Pyromaster, you would probably replace it with Torture Defiance. But almost no one plays Pyromaster. And most people, if they want that effect, play the uh, the Siege, because the Siege cannot be attacked and killed. So in that sense, you know, like w- would you actually replace Huntmaster or Kalidas or Pia... Or any of those cards with this Chandra, like maybe, but you wouldn't start with four Chandra Torture Defiances as the base of your deck. So I, I think yeah. she'll pop up, you know, as a one or two of somewhere. People will try her. I will try her. You know, her her minus three doesn't kill a, a Tarmogoyf, which is a big problem. It kills Grimflayer. Uh, it doesn't kill Reality Smasher, but it kills Thought Not Seer. So it's pretty conditional. But you could get the same effect, you know, uh, a five drop getting up Nixilis is kind of like Chandra, except just not conditional, but one more mana. So there are cards similar to Chandra today, and uh, you can play three colors, so different colors have card advantage, so you don't have to rely on that. So really, it's the mono-red strategies that uh, really get a big boost here. I don't know. Uh, You already have Koth of Hammer, though, so I I don't know if this is even better than that. So in Modern, I'm like, ah, you know, it it will see some play, but I don't think it's going to really shake up the format or anything like that. Definitely not 
the same as if you unman Jace the Mind Sculptor in modern. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. But in standard, I think we're all pretty in agreement that uh, it will be good. And I, I do agree, Seth. Like in standard, this is if you're playing red, I, I'm assuming you're going to be playing some copies of this. And I think you're right, though, that there is a legitimate question just how good red will be. And that is the big question for Chandra. Like, as good as red is in standard, Chandra will be equally good because I think pretty much every red deck is going to want her. But if red just is the, the fourth or fifth best color in making up a really small percentage of the meta, then that's going to cause Chandra to suffer. And since we got to mention it, don't pre-order this for 50 or 60 bucks. Please, for the love of God, wait till it's 20 <laughs> bucks in a month. You'll be extremely sad if you pre-order this card right now. Let's move on to what I think is the best Planeswalker in the set. Because no! In the you best stole color. my thunder. Sahili Rano. <laughs> Nissa Vital Force. Nah! Three greed, greed. Five loyalty. Plus one untapped target land you control. Until your next turn, it becomes a 5-5 elemental creature with haste. It's still a land. Minus 3, return target permanent from your graveyard to your hand. Minus 6, you get an emblem with whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you may draw a card. You stole my thunder. I really... <laughs> I was I was, gonna, I was coming up... Literally, when I saw all these spoiled, I was waiting to come on to this cast and like <laughs> have to debate you guys that this is the best walker in... Ma- in in uh, not only the set, but I think uh, one of them in standard. And ah, oh, Richard, really? You think so? Oh, well, man. You're like disappointed well, this is that a good I agree thing. with you, Chaz. <laughs> no, no. No, I was just really expecting because I didn't, I didn't expect you to go for a green card like this. It's just good. I can't. It's really good. I can't deny what's written on the, on the card box. <laughs> Uh, so I think we can both look back on this, Richard, and say that we both got it right then. Well, what if we're both wrong? It's going to be quite unfortunate. No, no. I, don't, I, I just can't see it. There's no way. All right, so why do you think the, but now, the card is good, Chaz? Well, now I'm not cool anymore. I can't be like the hipster one that says, like, oh, Chandra's not the best one. It's going to be Nissa, the, the $10 walker. <laughs> well, see, this is, this is where I was going with Nissa. Is it doesn't have four abilities. I know that. It's not flashy, but... I really like where this is at. Like, five mana, it protects itself. You immediately threaten ultimate. So it does something when it comes into play. And then you're threatening an ultimate, which doesn't end the game on the spot, but pretty soon thereafter, you're going to win the game. I mean, it's going to bury your opponents in card advantage. And minus three, I mean, it's not regrowth. I understand it's permanence, but you can get previous Nissa with new copies of Nissa, which I think is a really great dynamic. And I think when it comes to deck building, you can go different ways with this with without using uh, like uh, non-permanent base removal. You can start looking at Oath of Nissa, uh, Oath of uh, Liliana rather, uh, Stasis Snare. So you have all that, uh, all those options open to you. I, I mean, I think it's just really good. A 5-5, I, I know it, you get... You can get blown out by uh, removal, but you just get the you can just get the land back if you need it. And it has immediate impact. You automatically threaten ultimate, and it's I think in one of the best colors in standard, if not the best color in standard. Eh. <laughs> Seth's not buying it. <laughs> oh my god! Are you? I mean, it's uh, I, th- I think it's I think it's good. I like getting things back from my graveyard, and I like drawing cards. And the 
plus one is sort of like Koth. That's the first thing I thought of, is it's essentially the Koth plus one ability, except it can be used on defense as well, which Koth can't really do. So I think I think it's good. It's five mana, though. There's a lot of good green cards in the format already. How many of these are you really going to put in a deck? Like, I could see it be, I think it'll see play, and I think it'll be good, but I don't think it's, like, a four-of type Planeswalker, like Gideon or Anissa or something like, or the old Nissa or something like that. I mean, by virtue of being a five-converted mana cost card, you know, you're not going to have four-ofs, but to me, this is like Ugin. You know, Ugin's clearly one of the best Planeswalkers, but, you know, not all decks can run him, and, you know, you may not run four because it costs, like, a billion mana. So Nissa is a 5-drop, and the reason I think she's so good is she is in the best color in Standard, which is green. Right? There is no question whether green will be played or not. It will always be played, because if you want creatures, <laughs> and you want spells on creatures, and card advantage, you got to play green. <laughs> yes! Right? The plus Perfect. one is a 5-5, five, five, right? That's a 4-turn clock, and it blocks really well. And yeah, you can kill it, but you know it's you can kill any creature. But I think the threatening part is the one-turn ultimate. Nahiri is dumb because she comes down an empty board, and if you don't have a haste creature, you know, two turns later she ultimates. Nissa is just basically slam her down on an empty board. You don't have a haste creature, she ultimates next turn. And that is going to be really hard to deal with, and people will have to play a ruinous path in those cards just to get rid of Nissa. And minus three is basically regrowth. You can't target spells but our spells are attached to creatures nowadays so just get back whatever creature you needed and get a body <laughs> with your spell so uh you know and you can get back stuff like emrakul i think this is actually really good i think the thing that sets her apart from chandra uh is she's green if chandra was green and nissa was red then i would say chandra is the best planeswalker in the set but <laughs> nissa is really yes. good plus she's in the known good color and the one-turn ultimate, for me, is just a big deal. One-turn ultimate is pretty scary. And that ultimate, unless you're like terribly far behind, you're going to win with that ultimate. Every turn, you either draw gas or land, which will get you gas. So, I honestly wonder how much better this makes like Teamer emerge after rotation. Like I know it, I know it kind of fights at the same spot with Ishkana. But I, I think I'd rather play like a Nissa over like a Wretched Griff, to be honest. Do you even think that this is the best Nissa in Eldritch Moon? I mean, Kaladesh. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they, they perform different roles. Although you do have a point. The Origins Nissa is pretty good. No, Origins no, I mean Nissa the, was pretty good, yeah. I mean the literal set of oh, Kaladesh. Wait, what's the other Nissa do? <laughs> Eight loyalty for six mana. It's like Karn. It's the green Karn. Oh, oh. okay. So we didn't talk about those yet. You're going to confuse our listeners, Seth. <laughs> there's not really... Okay, there's I can't tell if Seth is trolling or if he's serious. <laughs> he is serious. He's so, talking about the Planeswalker pack one. So the, the thing you're missing is Nissa, the second Nissa, Nissa's Nature's Artisan, which six mana comes in with five loyalty, plus three, you gain three life, negative four, reveal the top two cards of your library, lands go onto the battlefield, the rest in your hand, then negative 12, you get like the ultimate overrun, plus five, plus five, and trample for all your creatures. The thing is, it doesn't look very scary, so people aren't going to immediately try to kill it like they would the other Nissa, so you just play this. Plus it a few times. It has a ton of loyalty, so it's going to be super hard to kill. In the worst case, it's like you gain 11 life 
which is better than like Stream of Life, for example. Not that that's a, a staple anywhere, but I think it's better than you're giving it credit for. Wait, wait, better than this wait, vital? I'm very confused. Wait, <laughs> better what? than this are vital you, force? Are you drunk? <laughs> <laughs> We're being trolled. Is listen, this a I, camera? Listen, We're being trolled here, Chaz. I listen, don't know what's I know going the, on. I know the Bills lost, but <laughs> are you like in some like? What's going on right now? Are you actually trying to make a case for the 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 six mana one? I think it's better than it's given credit for. It's six I can see playing it in a deck. The six mana one's so bad. I I could see playing it in a deck. I really think <laughs> I, it's it's not really better than Nissa Vital Force. Nissa Vital Force is better, but I think that the Planeswalker deck, Planeswalkers, Nissa in specific, is just overlooked because we had this preconceived notion that the Planeswalker deck, Planeswalkers, were going to be super bad. And I think it's possible that a deck would play Nissa. It has so much loyalty. It might not, and it doesn't appear to be a threat. Like it looks bad enough, and people think it's bad enough that they probably aren't going to attack it. And then you can generate some card advantage, and overrunning your team is actually pretty powerful. I think it's. <laughs> I I really think that this card can see play. Oh boy! No, I no, I I think Nissa Vital Force is the best Nissa Kaladesh to answer your question. Uh, all right, to to each his own. Are you gonna combo this with the uh, if you have fifty life, you could dome someone for fifty cards? To each because... to each his own. <laughs> the six mana walkers are so bad. All right, okay, so that's high on Nissa Nature's Artisan. <laughs> Let's 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 talk about the other the, the complimenting Chandra Pyrogenius. Four red red, six converted mana cost, five loyalty. Uh plus two, Chandra deals two damage to each, oppo- to each opponent. Minus three, uh Chandra deals four damage to target creature. Minus ten, Chandra deals six damage to target player and each creature he or she controls. Is this standard I, I playable Seth? I love you, Seth. I really do. <laughs> I, I think that Nissa Nature's Artisan is a little bit better than Chandra, Chandra Pyrogenius. Uh, but I don't think this one's standard playable. I think if either one has a shot, it's Nissa. <laughs> Although two damage to each opponent is it's kind of like Sulfuric Vortex, which is And it goes oh, to seven loyalty. Legacy playable, actually. <laughs> 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 we did not we did not reverse this <laughs> I I might be playing devil's advocate to some extent but I uh-huh. I don't know the Chandra is not good it just doesn't do enough for its mana cost which uh, so I don't think it can see play <laughs> I think though Someone made this point, and I think it's a legitimate point. In a format like Commander, which is where these are based for casual players, the table isn't going to see these cards as threats. They're not going to like put a lot of time and effort into attacking them. So there's a chance they could actually be good by being so bad, if that makes any sense at all. I mean, Tybalt has tried that argument, but <laughs> Tybalt has not succeeded. <laughs> I, I do think the the pyro genius has has some merit in like multiplayer EDH games. I mean, it does deal two damage to everything, but I 
I don't know if you want to be spending even six mana in EDH to do that. That just guarantees everyone will kill Chandra like right away when you plus two her. So that plus two should have been like a plus eight or something so she would actually yeah. survive. There has to be a better card that does that ability, but that's less than six mana. I'm just saying with Nissa, eight loyalty is a lot. Do you remember people freaking out about Narset that doesn't really do much of anything herself? Because she comes in with six loyalty. Eight loyalty is really an extremely high amount of loyalty. So that's what is somewhat appealing to me about Nyssa. It's just so much loyalty, even for a six mana planeswalker. I know you play I know you make a lot of against the odds videos, but no, <laughs> hear me out. Would you play a six mana card, even in against the odds, that says you gain three life, prevent the next eight damage dealt to you? Well, you're you're leaving out the negative four, which draws you two cards. You're no, not I, the complete. But you're but you're chance. talking about but you're talking Six about that two it has, cards. Is that a good rate, Seth? <laughs> uh, all right, all right. Maybe she's not as good as I was hoping. Uh, if we're wrong on this, Chaz, we're gonna have to just cancel the podcast. <laughs> if in like four months, someone's Dude, playing this on Nature's I, Artisan I, in a I, GP. Uh, you won't have to ask. I will just resign <laughs> from talking about magic. I, I know Seth's going to look really hard for instant deck text with this nature. Yes, I am. I just, I can't. There's no way. Okay. And, yeah, there's, I, oh. well, well, we'll see. I guess we will see. I'm still backing the Nissa Vital Force horse. But on a more serious note, well, at least for me, I actually really <laughs> like these Planeswalkers because they show a wide range of abilities, are fairly interesting, and are pretty cool for new players. So they're meant for new players to play against each other with the Planeswalker decks, and I think they do a really good job of this. And they'll be affordable Planeswalkers as opposed to your $50 Chandras and your $20 <laughs> Nissas. You can actually get these at a reasonable price for new players to play with. So I actually think they're really cool. And I look forward to, you know, more planeswalkers in the the future sets with their new with the new decks. Yeah, actually, I mean, I even want them. I mean, not for standard, but <laughs> uh, no, I I think it was actually really successful. I think uh, I agree with you, Richard. They were really successful. They're great for new players. And I mean, I was expecting them to be really bad, but these are actually like passable, and they're they're okay. And I, I like where they went with this. I, I, I too, am uh, excited to see where uh, the future ones go. And anything has to be better than intro packs. Good lord, yeah. those decks were so bad. I, I think, yeah, I think we go back to the conversation. I would absolutely much rather have these two walkers than a bunch of crappy intro pack rares. Yeah. No more. We have to talk about them on video. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I definitely think see. it's a, it's a gain overall. Yeah, so we're all. I think we're all in agreement. They're really successful, right? Yeah, and playable. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> I uh, we need to we need to keep. Uh, we have a couple more cards to talk about. <laughs> oh, let's talk oh. about Smuggler's Copter. Two mana artifact vehicle. It's a three three, flying. When Smuggler's Copter attacks or blocks, you may draw a card. If you do, discard a card. Crew 1. Yeah, so they, they mentioned in the article that they wanted um, specifically some equipment, or vehicles rather, to be pushed for 
uh, constructed viability, and this was definitely one of them. I, I, I mean, I really like it. I think it's great. I think it'll absolutely see play. They're confident it'll, it will see play, and if they're confident, I think we should all expect this card to uh, show up. Uh, I think this card's too good. <laughs> it <laughs> seems really good. Like, any creature you just randomly play now is a 3-3 three, three haste looter on the first turn. So, you know, the fact that you can loot and the fact that it's a 3-3 three, three flyer uh, makes up for the fact that, you know, it's a vehicle. And I think it's really strong. Crew 1 is a really low cost. So I think you'll see a ton of decks with this as a 4 of. And remember, you can also block, right? So yep. even slower decks, uh, defensively, you can crew up the copter and block, and you get to loot when you do that as well. I, I had to read it twice when I first read it. I'm like, really? <laughs> this card just seems really good. And yeah. uh, good thing it's just a rare. They could like It seems so good that you could have probably called it a mythic. So <laughs> it'll, it'll be interesting to see... Uh, what the artifact removal is in the set to see if there's incidental and easy ways to get rid of the copter, but uh, just a 3-3 flyer, like think Delver of Secrets, like getting a 3-3 flyer that early uh, is pretty brutal, so I think we'll see a lot of copters, smugglers copters in standard. I think with vehicles, uh, where I've landed on them is you're really looking for three things. You want a low crew cost, so you can use pretty much any creature you draw to activate it. You want the card to be above the curve because you're putting this extra work to turn it into a creature, or you want it to do something when it's not a vehicle. And Smuggler's Copter doesn't really do anything when it's not a vehicle, like Sky Sovereign that's a removal spell, or Cultivator's Caravan, which is a mana rock, but it is super far above the curve. A color list 3-3 flyer for 2 is really good. Attached to looting is even more insane, and it has that crew 1 cost, so any random creature in your entire deck, a Eldrazi uh, Scion token, for example, uh, a Thopter token, anything is going to be able to turn it on, so I think this card is very good, too. I don't know exactly what framework you put it in. Probably an aggressive deck, I would assume, as you're two drops, so you curve a, a one drop into this, but I think it's very good and is likely one of the top three vehicles for standard and constructed play. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so let's talk about someone that can crew this thing, a one drop elf, or not elf, dwarf. Dwarf. <laughs> uh, unofficial <laughs> translation, we don't know what the name of it is, but we're calling it Toolcrafter Exemplar. One white, it's a 1-1 one, one dwarf artificer. At the beginning of combat on your turn, if you control an artifact, Toolcrafter Exemplar gets plus 2, plus 1 until end of turn. If you control three or more artifacts, it also gains first strike. Yeah, this is insane. So you can curve Toolcrafter Exemplar uh, into Smuggler's Copter, attack with the 3-2 on the first turn, and then I guess the next turn you can just play Thraben Inspector <laughs> to take the... Uh, inspector into the copter and get a get a clue to investigate with and you're two-thirds of the way into metal craft basically yeah essentially or you can i guess what they were trying to push is the curve of this one drop into the copter into depala which also seems pretty crazy one man of three two have we seen that no on the ground i mean that's basically delver <laughs> but delver flies yeah this has first strike First strike if you have Metalcraft. Right, if you have Metalcraft, right. This is, I mean, yes, there's a deck building restriction, but this has got to be one of maybe the best 
Savannah Lions type one drop that we've ever seen printed. Like the card is so insane and it's so easy to get an artifact on turn two with a one drop like Thraben Inspector or a vehicle. Like it's so easy to be attacking for three on turn two, which is just incredibly far above the curve for a one drop. It is so, uh, so over above the curve. I'm just. This is a card that kind of surprises me because we're used to good one drops having two power. So having an additional power is just really insane and it's very easy to turn on. So I think this card is going to be a reason to build aggressive decks with artifacts and standard. Like this is a card that pushes you in that direction. Yeah. So you know how we were talking about if we, I don't know if we will see a, you know, a strategy just from Kaladesh. I mean, I think we're there. <laughs> I mean, I love this card not only just for the fact... I mean, it can, it can crew at any point in the game Sky Sovereign. I mean, so it's not really a dead card ever. One of the things I was looking at was, like, the white-red humans list or the yeah. aggro list. And it, that deck is losing some important one-drops. It loses two different one-drops. It loses Kytheon. So it really needs a replacement to be good. And this could very easily be the replacement. You put in the vehicle we were just talking about as a two drop. You put in, you already have Thraben Inspector. You get all the powerful white cards always watching the good white removal. So I think this keeps white aggro and white weenie. Like this card alone keeps it viable and standard, I think. And always watching does work with vehicles. And it kind of makes me sad that this card is white. I think are, are we have we moved on from the days of mono red? Like is white the new <laughs> aggro color? Like I was really hoping that you know white has had its time to shine, and now we're switching back to red. But a one mana three two non legendary even in white is going to keep white uh, the aggressive color of choice. So we're going to see a lot more white weenie in the new standard as opposed to red deck wins. Let's move on to the mythic gear hulk cycle. So these are, I guess, Kaladesh, Kaladesh's answer to Titans. There's one for each color. Uh, they all cost around five or six. So the red one is combustible. Uh, it has first strike, and you can draw three or mill three, and your opponent loses life equal to the converted mana cost of the cards. Cataclysmic is the white one. It has vigilance. Each player chooses an artifact, creature, enchantment, or planeswalker. Uh, and keeps one of each. Uh, Verdolent, it has Trample. This is also the Expedition. Uh, you can distribute four plus one plus one counters. Noxious has Menace, and you can destroy another target creature. Gains life equal to his toughness. And then Torrential has Flash, and it's kind of Snapcaster. You can cast an instant from your graveyard without paying its cost. So that's our cycle of Gear Hulks. They all have abilities pertinent to their colors. What do you guys think? Are these... Standard playable, are these the new Titans? Yeah, I think they're the revised Titans. I, I think that's a good comparison. Like, they, they aren't obviously as powerful, I think, overall as the original Titans. <clears throat> but I think if those weren't printed and these, you know, if those never existed and we just had the Gear Hulks, I think everyone would be very, very pleased. I mean, they should be already. I mean, these are really good, and I expect most of them, if not all of them, to see some kind of play in standard, at least. I think they're okay. They are expensive. We already have a lot of big stuff 
in standard. I think that some of them are good, and I think most of them will see play in in one form or another. But I'm really interested to see how you guys would rank them. If you had to rank from best to worst, what colors would you put where? Yeah, I think you're right in the sense like they're they do compete with other cards like Avacyn and stuff. But if I were to rank them. So because keeping that in mind, why why you're thinking the other comparison is the the souls cycle, which was kind okay. of the first fixed Titan cycle, six mana in the core set. So it'll be interesting to see where they fall. I tend to think these are closer to the souls, which saw play here and there in certain decks and were decent than the Titans, which were the dominant cycle of cards for their entire life in Standard. So I think it's more more towards the Souls, probably better than the Souls, at least some of them. But I would say they're more towards the Souls than towards the Titans, in my opinion. You know, I totally forgot about that cycle. <laughs> <laughs> which which tells me, you know, they, they were kind of forgettable. But you're right. They, they definitely are comparable to Souls. I think they're better than the Souls, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think they are as a whole as well. Yeah. Um, in terms of ranking, whew, this is tough. I think I would have to go red, and then it's a tie between the green and the blue one, or I guess the blue one a little bit more than the red, uh, green one, and then the other two. So red at the top? I think so. What about you, Richard? Do you have a... A ranking of Gear Hulks. I actually think Red is the worst one. Uh, really? I think they're all really close, though. Maybe, probably the green one, followed by the white one, and then the blue, black, and then red. Although I think, actually, aside from Combustible, I think the other four are actually pretty close. I think Combustible is actually one that kind of doesn't belong because it's a six mana card, so it's kind of hard to dome your opponent. If you're playing like a, a red deck win strategy, and in a controlling strategy, it's not as useful. Whereas the other ones all kind of help you stabilize or are very aggressive. So they, I think they all have their roles. But I think it's pretty close. And I think it's pretty close to the original set of Titans in the sense that they are all pretty balanced and they're all pretty close, even though there's a ranking among them. In this case, I think they're all pretty playable. Um, but I don't know that they'll actually see play. Because for six mana, you can be doing tons of powerful things like casting new planeswalkers and whatnot like like that new, that new nissa yeah okay would you rather gain three life or put four plus one plus one? uh i think i think that the blue and black ones in my opinion are a little bit above the rest and then the white and green ones are sort of in the middle but not that far behind and i also have the red one at the bottom I might be underrating it just because I really dislike Punisher effects where your opponent gets to choose. And we have Bedlam Reveler in standard. So if you want to draw three in your red aggro deck, you can do that mm. for two mana instead of six mana. Uh, so, But I think that in the best case scenario, Combustible Gear Hall can be really good. I think you can build a deck around it, maybe blinking it or somehow uh, abusing, reusing the enter the battlefield trigger and have it be a legitimate win condition. I just don't know if the red deck is going to be playing six mana cards, if there is one in standard, but we'll see. Can I take a moment and complain for the lack of mechanic in black? Like menace? Like seriously? <laughs> but it makes sense this time. No, it doesn't. It's just one dude. <laughs> like if it had two heads, four arms, it was like a pack of three gear hulks or something. Yeah, menace would make sense, but... They can't use fear. Uh, Death Touch is useless on a 5-4. Uh, 
Like, there are no black mechanics to put on this card, so they're just, like, menace. <laughs> like, that's but so menace. bad. But <laughs> menace! Oh. At least give it two heads if you're gonna give it menace, man. <laughs> it's already large, like, it's pretty scary, but right? But all the other Gear Hulks are large, do they all have menace? <laughs> In fact, no. they look larger than the freaking Noxious Gear Hulk based on the pictures. <laughs> Uh, I really hate Menace as a mechanic. Just, uh, I just don't like it. It's my least favorite evergreen mechanic, I think. It needs fear. Yeah, I think... Bring back fear. <laughs> Why is fear not a fear, thing? Fear was really... Uh, I love fear. They'll never bring that back. It's too or, good. <laughs> even, like, we get Intimidate sometimes, right? They just don't use it as much. Yeah, Intimidate. Yeah, I'm... And Undying? How about Undying? I'll take Undying on <laughs> oh. this. <laughs> oh, Undying would be insane on that card. Oh, my God. Oh, never bring back <laughs> those those mechanics, especially in ever evergreen undying. Are you straight? Wait, that's that's anarchy. They need good black evergreen mechanics because this card shows me they that do. they've run out. <laughs> like, if menace they is do, the best yeah. thing to represent black here, it's like, oh god. They do, yeah, they really do. I I'm not I'm not super down on menace more than just the application of menace. Like, it just seems so random. Yeah, it is, it does feel like they are like, oh, we don't have a mechanic. We need a mechanic. Their go-to choice every single time is always Menace. <laughs> like, Menace is fine. It's just like the cards that Menace is on is like, does never seems to make sense. <laughs> yeah, the, the the best was, what was Eldrazi that has Menace? Oh, like, I... What? Why? Oh, is it Kozilek? I think it's Kozilek. <laughs> yeah. <Menace. laughs> it's like this thing is is like super huge. The, Why? Yeah. And then the, you have two drops like Relentless Dead that also have Menace. I just don't get the yeah, how they decide which card is menacing and which card isn't. There's there's never any continuity. No, you're right. Like I said, the application. Yeah, how do we go from like a giant Titan Eldrazi to a <laughs> to, to zombie? I mean, it's scary. You saw The Walking Dead, right? That's true. Zombies are pretty <laughs> scary. Uh, I think that does it, right? For the uh, for the cards we wanted to talk about? Yep. Okay, so quick rant on C- uh, a conspiracy, and then we can do fish mail and wrap things up. We are... I know we uh, we had a lot to talk about. Alright, so time, time to complain. We try to be positive, but... Wizards, snuckily on their Tumblr Moto blog, <laughs> made the announcement, not even on the mothership, but on their, their blog, that Conspiracy 2 will be released in November uh, on Magic Online. And they haven't announced how they'll release it, but it'll probably be like Legendary Cube prize packs or something along the line the first time they did it. But the big news is that's basically two months after release, and there's a large post on Reddit, Eternal Weekend is coming up. And no one can really test Legacy on Magic Online because Conspiracy 2 released so many new cards for Eternal formats uh, that you testing online makes no sense anymore. It's a different metagame. There were lots of posts of people with $4,000 Magic Online Eternal collections that are playing on Cockatrice now because that's the only way they can actually test with the new cards in time for their events. I just have to shake my head. Like, it's... They said they were putting a focus on digital, right? They, they like to say things like, oh, you know, we work on sets one, two years in advance, so we can't make changes fast, right? But what that means is they knew about Conspiracy for one or two years. They could have got the Moto Group 
to speed up their schedule by two months, right? It's not a thing of, you know, we, we don't know how to do this. We got to invent something new. It's basically do what you're doing now, but do it two months earlier. And they couldn't even get the resources to do that to release Conspiracy in a timely manner. So that's the big disappointment. It, it shows me Wizards doesn't really care about Magic Online. It doesn't care about Legacy. You know, we, we always talk about the death of Legacy, and I'm always the one saying, oh, but it will survive on Magic Online. But given that this is how Wizards treats Legacy, uh, maybe it's not even going to survive there, right? No one's playing Legacy on Magic Online now. You can't play with the new Death and Taxes and whatnot. So it's actually slowly dying on Magic Online. So that's very disappointing. And that's just a vision and management thing. Uh, a lot of people say, you know, devs are working their hardest and, you know, you shouldn't be hard on them. And that's true, right? It's not their fault. They're doing the best with what they have. But would it have hurt someone a year ago to say, hey, we should move up the Moto schedule by two months for conspiracies so that pe- people can play it online, uh, you know, in a reasonable time. And there's not this big gap between Magic Online and Paper. So I'm super disappointed in Wizards and... Magic Online sucks and blah 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 and uh, it just yeah, it just it just annoys me so much because this is not like fixing Moto, which is actually a really hard thing to do. This is literally schedule your things two months earlier, and they couldn't even be bothered to do that. Well, they put so many new cards on Magic Online. They know how to do it. They're pretty good at doing it. They have hundreds, probably a thousand new cards a year that come up on Magic Online. So it seems a little ridiculous that they couldn't get the whatever. 30, 50 new cards that actually will be going on the program that they couldn't get them up in a timely manner. I just, I don't, I don't see any good excuse for that. Like you were saying, well, and it is to do this. It's not like, you know, it's not like they're sitting there on Reddit. Like, Oh, conspiracy two spoilers are out today. It's like, Oh no, <laughs> this card's too hard to implement. It'll take us two months. Like they literally had like a year or two, but it, it shows me there's no communication between the two teams, right? There's no, someone should have said, Hey, you know, we have these new cards, we have these new mechanics, you guys should start on them so we can release them, you know, in a year. It, it literally seemed like someone got the spoiler off Gatherer and started, like, hacking away at the code, right? <laughs> like, th- this two-month delay makes no sense whatsoever. And it's compounded by the fact that one of the biggest legacy slash vintage events of the year is happening in that two-month gap. That's why the, the community's focus is on it right now, so... I don't know. Maybe it'll change. Maybe it'll improve in the future, but I don't know. I don't have my hopes too high on that. We have, uh, I guess as a Magic Online player, I'm just used to this stuff by now. And it's sad that I am, but that's just Magic Online. And it's so bad because it affects just more than, uh, you know, the actual players trying to practice for these events. Like as content creators, we can't create any content. There's no easy way to do Conspiracy 2 cards on Magic Online. We have to wait two months. You know, Magic is just way behind. We can't stream Conspiracy 2 drafts. You know, that's actually harder, but uh, we can't stream Conspiracy 2 commander cards. We can't play the new Death and Taxes. We can't do anything, and we just got to wait two months for when no one cares about Conspiracy 2 anymore. Then we get to release all that content. So Wizards is just shooting themselves in the foot. Uh, you know, in terms of marketing as well, right? That's just free marketing for them, but, uh, you know, we'll get to play it when no one cares anymore. So that's also very sad and very unfortunate for, you know, viewers of Magic content. Yeah, uh, I, I'm i not as invested in MTGO, but it just seems to me that this is kind of like a normal thing that happens, so I'm not surprised, but it's unfortunate. 
I guess plus one for playing paper. I mean, I don't. Ah, it sucks. Ah, Moto. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to be so optimistic about Moto, but then this stuff always happens. It's like two different companies, you know. Like the paper side is just releasing stuff, like exceeding our expectations left and right. And then the digital side is just lowering our expectations like every day. So I, I really hope that they get their act together. And my hope was Hearthstone would kick their butt into gear. But Hearthstone's been out for quite a while now. And we haven't seen anything from Modo. So they, they've seen what, you know, what kind of money and what kind of hype it can generate. But it seems like they're just not interested. And that they're really invested in the paper. The one good note on Moto is they did start draft leagues, and draft leagues are, I have some issues with them, but they are they are awesome. They are so convenient. I played a draft last night in just over an hour from drafting wow. through all three rounds of it. You start a match immediately. You don't got to wait for people's matches to end, and they got to fix some of the payout issues, and uh, because they're so popular, the prices of the cards are pretty low, so if you go, like, two and one, you actually end up, like, losing significant money, but so there's some stuff to be fixed, but they're super popular, and they're super awesome, so that's the one good thing that's happened on Magic Online in the last couple weeks. All right. So let's move on to fish mail. So if you have questions, you can tweet uh, at MTG Goldfish with the hashtag MTG Fishmail, and we'll get to your questions on air. We have a lot. So let's start with uh, at the walking mat. When is the best time to pick up foil BFC slash Oath Eldrazi? Uh, Smasher, Seer, Ulamog, Reshaper, etc.? I think they're at a pretty good price right now. I mean, they're the set's not really the premier set being opened anymore. I mean, obviously, there's still redemption and stuff going on, but I don't see them really dipping any lower than they are now, much lower anyway. So I think now is a pretty good time as any. Yeah, I think it's fine to pick up them now. All those cards you mentioned are modern and even legacy right. staples, so I, I think you're fine to just pick them up while they're still somewhat in print. All right, next question from at random Keho. Saffron Olive, after watching a couple of MTG Goldfish YouTube videos, will you make a sweet soundboard? <laughs> so like like the radio DJs, so I can like hit a button and it'll say a different version of, <laughs> yeah. of sweet? Is that... <laughs> so that people can whip out their phones and just hit sweet and hear your voice. <laughs> different, oh. different versions of sweet. Uh, I will look into it. I've never thought about that before, we but that would be that would be sweet. <laughs> it, it, it would be sweet. <laughs> uh, from at despair faction, uh, I only play commander. When to sell goblin guide, Liliana the Veil, Kalia? Will the new modern masters and commander anthologies have enough supply to affect prices? Yes, I would sell them. As soon as possible, essentially. I don't know about Commander Anthologies. Yeah. I have to do some research on the original anthologies. I don't know if it'll actually like crush the price of Kalia, but Goblin Guide and Liliana will definitely take a big hit, at least over the short term. Yep. From Casey Metronome, uh, if I want to pick up an expensive card like a dual land off eBay, what should I watch for to make sure it's legit? I mean, I would just do your due diligence as a player and and stay in communication with the the seller if you're not liking the pictures that you're seeing or you want to see more pictures. 
um, you can have them sent to you. Obviously, if it's a fake, it'll be pretty... They're getting there where it's kind of hard to tell the difference just by a picture. I mean, the good thing about eBay in particular is if you get the card and you kind of know it's a fake just by having it in your hands at that point, eBay is pretty good about uh, refunds and and, and siding with the buyer in most cases. Yeah, and just a good general rule is if it's way too good to be true, it probably is. Like if you buy a Underground Sea for $50... Odds are you didn't find the deal of a lifetime. Instead, you're buying a fake card. So I tend to shy away from even purchasing those. Even though you can get your money back, it's just such a hassle. Uh, But Chaz is right. They do have good buyer protection. So just uh, don't buy from something that obviously looks sketchy or super underpriced. And then check it out well once you get it and make sure you're comfortable with it. And then go forward from there. I would honestly pay a little bit more for a dual land from like a very reputable place than take my chances on some random person with zero feedback or very low feedback on eBay. Yeah, uh, I want to echo that. If you're not familiar with finding fakes, it's actually really hard. Like you can Google guys yeah. that tell you to look at like dot patterns and uh, get a get a black light or whatever, and it's still very ambiguous unless you know exactly what you're doing. Yeah. So I tend to just buy them from legitimate places. Uh, I buy them from big retailers. And if you want dual lands on the cheap, uh, very often if you go to GPs, vendors will have dual lands in all kinds of conditions, and uh, the, the non-near-mint cards are significantly cheaper, and different vendors have different grading so you may find a slightly played card that looks near mint to you, uh, or a heavily played card that's not actually that bad looking, and they'll come with a significant dis- discount. So you can also check out your local GPs or big events where there'll be lots of vendors with uh, lots of dual end inventory to take a look as well. Uh, next question from at Flint Matt. Uh, when there was a question about old school magic, you didn't mention the MTG Finance Price Guide Scry Magazine. That's it. That's just a comment. That that's oh. true. <laughs> we true. did not. You're right. I, I yes. think that was, was true. the original source. Yes. Where you would find out your Shivan Dragon was worth ten times as much as your Black Lotus. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's actually it's actually pretty funny. I got a Scry in a collection I bought a while ago, and just looking back on some of the old prices are just so it's it's really interesting and fun to see, like you said, Shivan Dragon being like thirty dollars and Black Lotus being like fifteen dollars. <laughs> Yeah. Those were the days. Yes, they were. Next question from at Sire Walter. How would you suggest speeding up my gameplay on Magic Online? The F keys. F2, (laughs) F6, and F8. Make those your best friends. F2 uh, essentially saves you from hitting the OK button with your mouse, which takes a couple seconds. F6 uh, passes through the entire turn. And F8 is... Uh, it passes until you can actually do something. So uh, practice those, get used to those, and use those as much as possible, and it will make your games go faster. And... Yeah, and don't don't spam them because then you, you miss attack uh, opportunities like I do. <laughs> and Seth never uses F4 for some reason. <laughs> but F4 that's, is actually the, the most common button, which is pass <laughs> until uh, you have a chance to respond. Oh, Good to know. So you can, if you F six, they can play a spell, and you won't be able to counterspell it. You have to remove auto yields, whereas F four will prompt you, uh, so it only stops you when you have a chance to respond. 
I use F6 and then just try to mash F3 real quick to cancel if something happens. F4 That's my thing. F4. Uh, next question from Andrew Cowell. What are the odds uh, that Zendikar fetches, that they put Zendikar fetches in the new four color commander sets? Seems like a good uh, place to reprint. Not, not likely. 0.001%. Yeah, zero given the article they released today about the expeditions and how yeah. putting expensive reprints in supplemental products warped them. So I think it's zero. Uh, at Vane Tempest, how frustrated are you by people asking about your completely theoretical new modern? <laughs> at least you didn't troll us by asking a question about new modern. <laughs> Uh, I, I, the questions don't bother me, honestly. I, I do get tired of having to say, well, this is completely theoretical, probably won't happen for five years, if it ever does. Like, that speech gets old after a while. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind so much. I just, I don't want people to be confused, uh, that thinking that it's an actual thing. But the questions themselves are fine. But I really don't want people to spread the fact that it's something that's actually happening when it's just baseless speculation. (laughs) Also from Vane Tempest, un- unrelated matter, what do you think, or when do you think Chandra the Mind Sculptor will get banned? I reckon January 2017 at the latest. No. I, I don't think it's bannable. I, I would be very surprised. I agree. I don't think it's anything no. that will be banned. Josh P., uh, I have a Sunken Ruins Expedition and a promo Gisela Broken Blade, 46 and 36 respectively. I am a fan of both cards, but prefer to get them at regular and make profit off of the foils. Is now a good time to sell slash trade them in? Uh, Normally, I'd be okay saying you can hold the Sunken Ruins, but now I don't know, right? Like, with these expeditions every set, like, when's the next... Like, we don't know. They could just throw in a random... Random Sunken Ruins for some reason. You know, I... I don't know. I, I obviously they said in the in the article that mostly they're going to keep it tied to the plane, and then they'll have some other cards. But you never know, right? Yeah, I would lean towards selling them just because. Uh, Why well, I think what you said is correct, and we don't know what'll happen with expeditions. I would lean towards selling them because most of their demand comes from standard, and neither card is really that playable outside of standard gazella isn't playable period that we've seen and sunken ruins is very fringe so i'm fine with selling them now why you might get some standard player to buy them and that might be keeping the price up a little bit yep all right uh john e if one wanted to build a budget version of modern eldrazi keeping the core of thought not seer reality smasher matter reshaper ancient stirrings and eldrazi temple Plus, expanding into one more color, do you have thoughts on which color would be preferable? I think um, red's usually a good color. I mean, you have access to Lightning Bolt, which is probably one of the best cards in modern. Yeah, it's it's really hard to say, I guess. there's a All the colors give you different options which are appealing. You get the discard from black. You get good removal in white. Uh, so I don't know. I would I would probably tend towards green, red, or green, white in the dark without really thinking it through and building a list. Yeah, I mean you can just take any Eldrazi list and chop off the colors. So Bant is a deck, so you can actually play blue for Drowner of Hope, or you can play white for Path to Exile and Displacer. Uh, red is also an option, uh, giving you Bolt and Kozilek's return. 
So I think basically, if you're looking for budget, whatever color you have more of the complementing cards of, and you can just throw that together. Uh, next qu- next question from Tomas Yu. I wanted to know your opinion on magic fatigue. Uh, just getting too much magic. Wizards is getting better and more efficient at creating cool world stories mechanics, but I am concerned at the pace that we get all this new stuff. I feel as if Eldritch Moon just came out and we were already bombarded with new cards. I mean, yeah, the pace is picking up on things, and we'll see see what happens, but I think a point Chaz made earlier is a good one. And what you can do and what people probably will do is just maybe tune some stuff out. Like not everyone's going to care about arch enemy or conspiracy or whatever. So uh, I think that people will just tend to tune stuff out uh, to some extent that doesn't really interest them or appeal to their play style. Yeah. I mean, there's usually something in these products for everyone, but that doesn't necessarily necessarily mean that you have to go and like, Maybe there's one card you're interested in, but that doesn't really necessarily mean that's going to force you to go out and buy it, right? Like, you can still just wait. And yeah, I mean, I'm not getting the whole fatigue thing. I'd rather have the extra products out there than not. And at the end of the day, like I said earlier in the cast, when you know everyone was kind of clamoring about set fatigue and all oh, fatigue, like, there's so much, like, people are getting inundated with all these products. Like, at the end of the day, they're all supplemental products. I mean, you don't have to buy them and not all of them will appeal to every single person and outside of that there there's just the normal sets that we would have had anyway uh, yeah the one the, the one concern i do have as i mentioned about the expeditions is just the newness wearing off of some of these things but i think that's slightly different than fatigue itself but go ahead richard I think we do have magic fatigue and i really disagree with the way they do those mega announcement uh posts but basically, we have all forgotten about Conspiracy 2 because uh, we've already moved on to Kaladesh, which I think is part of the reason why the prices are creeping up there because we didn't have that much time with it. No one ever remembered Dual Deck Nissa versus Omnixilis being released. It just got washed under PAX and Conspiracy 2. And, you know, if the announcements were done at a separate time for the product announcements, we would probably be talking about what is in Modern Masters 2017. But now no one cares and it was just kind of washed under the rug because we're all in Kaladesh spoilers. So I do think all of this overlapping stuff is uh, kind of eating into, uh, eating into each other. And they're cannibalizing kind of the, the, the discussion and things like that. And there have been those psychological studies where they say two choices is better than ten. Right? People get overloaded and people get fragmented. So there, there is precedent for that. So I, I do actually think we have a bit of magic fatigue. And what's weird is that as we go into winter, there will be, like, nothing new there. And there's, like, this weird dead zone of products. So I'm not sure why they just didn't spread it out more. But I suspect it has to do with holiday sales and things like that. But I do think we got too much information. Like, Conspiracy 2 was really just glossed over. It just released, and then we already moved on to Kaladesh and all the new Planeswalkers and things like that. Well, I think regardless, even... And you make good points, Richard. Like, there is kind of like a high frequency, and it it does kind of shorten the amount of time the player base has to focus in and even purchase, you know, said product before the next product is released. But maybe it's a good thing that there is kind of that dead zone for people to either A, catch up, you know, they get X product to choose from for a Christmas gift or what have you. I'm just using that as an example. But 
I mean, at the same time, you look at conspiracy, and yeah, there's some there's some cards creeping up, but for the most part, I mean, it did its job. I mean, a lot of the cards did decrease drastically, and most of them, you know, some of them may come back, but most of them will likely stay down for quite some time. So it's still overall a success. Well, and I think part of it is we just got a huge price decrease at pre-order prices. Like stuff started out really low. Right. And if you look if you look at the set price chart, it's not that we've seen this big price spike, but stuff is kind of stopped falling. Some stuff has started to creep up a little bit, but the overall set price is relatively flat. So I think that some people and even myself to some extent were thinking cards were going to keep decreasing more, but we already have Berserk at $20 and Show and Tell at like $25. Like they're already at a massive discount and it's not like any of those cards, the big cards have like spiked up to $50 again or anything. So I agree with you that it's a big success, but I also think that the fact that we have to move on so quickly to the next thing like a week after i was making a conspiracy to opening video we were dealing with packs and kaladesh spoilers <laughs> like and i'm sure that's happening to other people in the community too where if there was a longer gap there some people probably would have bought another box and did another draft or whatever when all of a sudden you just have to move on to the next thing so quickly now all right Tom B, I like watching card prices in order to sell at their peak and rebuy later when they drop after reprinting. Noble Hierarch is a very tempting sell right now, but I'm concerned even if it does appear in Modern Masters 2017, it may not get back to $33, which I bought my copies at. What do your crystal balls say? I think it would. I think every subsequent reprint does kind of drop the price lower each time. and I I feel confident that it would go back to at least the first time it was reprinted and probably stay there for a little bit longer. And I mean, I, I, I think you're kind of looking at it the wrong way. If your goal is to sell and rebuy, I don't think the price that you bought in at a couple years ago is relevant. If you can sell now yeah. for 60 and then buy in at 40, you're still coming out ahead regardless of what you paid back when Modern Masters 2015 released. All right, last question. What happens to pre-order prices for Kaladesh now that Masterpieces <laughs> are now a thing? Ah, <laughs> uh, Well, obviously there's the underlying uh, lesson here that pre-orders are normally never a place to, you know, buy with upside. It's more of a lock-in if you think you're going to play and... You, you know, at a fair price. And for the most part, most of the pre-orders for Kaladesh, I mean, we're talking about Kaladesh, were pretty fair. Now, if you paid $60 for a Chandra, I mean, I don't really know what you were doing, first of all, but, I mean, you did. And obviously that sucks, but, yeah, I, I do think it's unfortunate that the the Expeditions will bring that down much, you know, more than they were uh, before. But, I honestly don't feel like many stores would even change a lot of their pre-order prices at this point. We're kind of like locked in before that, release. That's what I was going to say. It's not like Star City Games is going to be like, oh my god, they're printing new expeditions. All of a sudden, Chandra <laughs> right. should be $30. Like, I think where we see the impact is 
on Ether Revolt and on the spring set because we know this is coming now. So we might see prices start off lower because vendors are going to know expeditions are coming and players are going to know, well, I probably shouldn't pay $50 for Chandra in a set that's going to have expeditions. So I think we see the impact in future sets, but I don't think it has any real impact on Kaladash pre-orders already too far along and no one's going to just cut their prices in half because of this announcement. Yeah, and it's it's unfortunate, uh, but it is a lesson. Uh, you know, it might be a costly lesson for some people, but I mean, at least we know going forward. And if you're that kind of torn up about it, I mean, I'm sure there will be people out there that will happily take uh, your playset of Chandra, um, even if it's not for sixty. I mean, I still think it will retain a good amount of its price, but I think sixty was kind of. Uh, insane to begin with all right that wraps up our fish meal all right then that wraps up our cast so we talked about everything um we had a lot to talk about so by the end of the week we will have the full spoiler right uh yes yes Yes, so by the end of the week we'll have full spoilers uh and we will have pre-releases coming up next week right think not this weekend but the following weekend right the following week so uh, next cast we will talk about the remainder of kaladesh plus anything else that we feel we need to either expand on or anything new that we need to talk about like always but that about wraps it up for this cast so this will be the mtg goldfish crew signing out we will see you next time